How many of you have ever been involved in a group project? And I'm saying like, not just necessarily in school. I mean, I think a lot of the group projects that we've ever been in have been in school, whether we're in high school, if, you've, if you're in college or if you've ever been to college, you've definitely been in a group project there. But even sometimes at work, your boss will put you together with some coworkers and you'll work on the same thing with deadlines. So how many of you have ever been in a group project before? I would say that most of us, if not all of us, have been involved in group projects. And based off of our experience with that, we either love group projects or we loathe group projects. You know, when I was in, the way that I view group projects kind of changed as I continued to get older. When I was in high school, the group projects really weren't that big of a deal because most of the time uh, I was very competitive and I wanted to get the best grade. So I would end up doing most of the work anyway, because a lot of the people I went to school with were a little bit of ding dongs. And so what I decided to do is I decided uh, to just be around the people that I just wanted to have fun with. And I'd go over to friends' houses, we'd do the group project, or they would watch me do the group project, and then we would have a sleepover, we'd watch football, or we'd play some sports. Uh, and, or if there was a pretty girl and I wanted to get to know the pretty girl more, she would be in my group and we would call and talk about the group project every night. Never talked about the group project. But that's the way that I viewed group projects in high school. And when I got to college, that all got to change. You see, my freshman year, I went to the University of South Florida. I knew nobody. I mean, I went there. I didn't know a single soul. And the first class, or the second class I ever go to, the first week I'm in college, the teacher says, hey, so I want to let you guys know that 60% of your grade is going to be based off of group project work. So why don't you guys get together in groups of five? That will be your group for the rest of the semester. I knew these people for about 37 seconds and said, okay, now I'm going to have to marry these people for the next semester of my life. I got with these people, and let me tell you, it was one of the most stressful semesters I've ever had in my entire life. We would get together every single Sunday at the library in the afternoon because every week we had something due at 11.59 p.m. that Sunday night. And there were multiple times that multiple people in my group would show up at 8 p.m. on a Sunday and wouldn't have their work done yet because like, I thought that's what this was supposed to be. I'm like, man, you guys aren't getting it. And so what was happening is it became stressful. It caused a lot of conflict. But the reason it was really difficult is because we all had different goals in mind. We had, different, we had a different DNA. You see, me and another girl, we were super competitive, and we decided we want to get the best grade possible because we don't want to have to mess around at the end of the semester to try to get the grade that we want. But there were other people in our group that didn't have that same goal. Some of them were C's get degrees. One kid's goal was, I'm just trying to prove to my mom that college isn't for me. I'm like, glad you're in my group. <laughs> but we had a different DNA. And because we had a different DNA and because we had different goals, it led to different actions with everybody in our group. And so the way that I did group projects from here on in was, I ain't trying to make friends. I'm not trying to have a good time. I'm going to try to find the smartest people that have the exact same goal that I did. And there were multiple times in friend groups that I, I would hurt our friendship because my friend's like, all right, Ben, we going to be together? And I'm like, nope. You're like, oh, that's funny. No, seriously, dude, you're, you are in what I called in high school a ding dong, and I don't want you in my group with me. And, and so because things started to go well after that, Group projects became fun because we had that same mission. And, and it, no matter what kind of group we're in, whether it's a group project or whether it's just doing life with people, when we have the same DNA, there's nothing better. 
Because from that DNA, from that mission, leaks into the things that become important to us and leaks into the actions in which we live our life by. And in the same way that that it's awesome when things are going well, when we're a part of a group of people and we don't have that same DNA and we don't have that same mission, it is incredibly stressful. And so what was, what's happening here in the church of Corinth is, is this very thing was happening, is they were not united. They were divided. They did not have the same DNA. And they weren't just doing a group project for a class. They were trying to do life with each other. They were trying to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And so what Paul does right off the bat, you know, Doug got to open us up last week to the introduction with Paul. And he talked about, he, Paul introduces himself, and then what Paul does is Paul mentions the name of Jesus nine times in the first six, in, in six verses, basically saying, hey, the foundation of this letter, the foundation of this church, the foundation of my life is Jesus, and it will always be about Jesus. And then immediately after that, Paul addresses the division that's in the Corinthian church. And it's not like Paul addresses it in the beginning and then he moves away from it. Paul addresses it and then never goes away from it because the main theme in the book of 1 Corinthians in this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth is actually talking about division. And this is something that Paul is so passionate about because it's something that we have to get right. And I think it's just really interesting and really cool how God's word is living and active. That it's not just something that was for this people 2,000 years ago on the opposite side of the world. And it's all because the, the problem of division wasn't just with the Corinthian people, but that problem of not being united has bled down into every age and every generation since. And it is especially in the, in the age and generation that we live in right now. And in fact, I would even argue that division is even worse now than it ever has been. And just like Paul doesn't ignore it and doesn't skip over it, that's not something that we need to be skipping over either. Because what we're going to see is that when we take Jesus and the power of the gospel out of the center of the church, we end up dividing what Christ died to unite. There is too much at stake for us to get this wrong. There are too many souls that hang in the balance for the body of Christ not to function the way that it was designed to function. And so Paul addresses it right off the bat in 1 Corinthians 1, starting in verse 10. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the house of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. There are sometimes I read things, and, and Tyler said this a few months ago, and you read scripture, and it's like, what do I need to preach on? Like, we should just read it and be like, you guys have a good rest of your day. Um, and some of you are like, are you, you going to do that? I'm not, because that's not what I get paid to do. But it's one of those mic drop moments for Paul. It, Paul, 
It's like, it's a, it's a, that quill drop kind of like, this is what is important. The, the important thing is the cross of Christ. And, but we see right away what Paul does in the very beginning. He says, I appeal to you brothers by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a very important intro. You see, there's two parts to this intro. The first part is I appeal to you brothers. And what this is in the Greek is this is basically like exclamation point, star, underlined, highlighted. It's bigger than all the other things. This is saying what I am about to say to you is very important. And it's not something that's used a lot in writing. This is something that's used when it's important and it's not used that much. So when it is used, it's really effective. So Paul is saying, pay attention to what I'm about to say. And then he says, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. What Paul says is this is very important and it's not coming from me. It's not coming from my authority because Paul does say stuff like that even in this letter. You see in 1 Corinthians chapter seven, which is the letter that talks about singleness and marriage. So we're doing 1 Corinthians. See, best believe we're talking about singleness again. But he says in in 1 Corinthians chapter seven, he says, not as a concession or as a concession, not as a command. And what he's saying there is like, this is not from Jesus, but this is my opinion. And that's not what he's saying here. What Paul is saying here is, hey, you need to pay attention to this because this is coming straight from the man upstairs. This is coming straight from Jesus. And so this is what he says. He says that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. And so what this is doing is this is introducing again that main theme of 1 Corinthians and talking about being united and talking about not being divided. And so Paul is appealing for them to be united. And I think the word united is a word that means different things to different people. You know, I think now we hear the word united and even in the beginning of that verse, it says that all of you agree. Like, what does that mean? Does that mean that every little thing we need to agree on? And so if they believe this, does that mean that I have to believe it? Or if I believe this, does that mean that they have to believe that? Do we have to be agreeing on every little thing? And and we're going to get into that in a second. But I actually love the word that Paul uses for united. You see, in Greek, what Paul uses is the word katarditsu. And what this word is actually used in, and it's used in the Gospels when Jesus finds the disciples mending their nets. And so what katarditso means is the, the perfect translation is not united, but the translation of that word is mending together what was once broken. And so what Paul is doing here is Paul is reminding them of the Gospel Paul is saying, hey, do you guys remember who you were before Jesus? We were all on a one-way destination to hell, and Jesus didn't just save us from the eternal damnation of hell, but what he has also done is he has taken us broken people, he has made us whole, and then together he has made us one body, him being the head. And so what is happening is Paul is saying, I, like, Jesus came to die so that he could unite us all, and when we're dividing ourselves, we are just dividing what Christ died to unite And he's saying, we cannot get this wrong. We cannot continue to get it wrong. Because if the enemy wants to do anything, he wants to divide us. Because a body divided is not effective as the body was supposed to be in the first place. What Paul is saying is, why are we dividing over things that were never meant to divide us? In fact, what was dividing the Corinthians was supposed to be the things that were supposed to unite them. 
there is supposed to be this feeling of we're doing this together. We're all on the same mission of bringing the person who radically transformed our eternity glory and honor. But that's not what's happening here in the church of Corinth. The church of Corinth aren't living like they were broken people who were made whole, made into one body. They were living like they were still broken. Because it wasn't happening that they were united the way that Jesus meant it to be. And one of the main reasons he gets into here is that the Corinthians were divided because they were creating all of these factions and parties based off of what leader they liked the best. Paul says, what I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't know whether I baptized anyone else. You see, these gifts that God gives his people and God gives his leaders are not bad gifts. They're supposed to be incredibly good gifts. They're supposed to be uniting gifts. And sometimes God gives gifts that are more prevalent than others. Sometimes there are going to be people that are going to have a gift where they get to go on stage. And that is not a bad thing. Like we don't need to make the leadership in, the, in these front stage gifts the bad thing because they're supposed to be really good things. And it's also not a bad thing for us to prefer other speakers over others. You know, the other day I was hanging out with some buddies and just having a good time. And one of my buddies says, hey, Ben, who's preaching on Sunday? This is a few months ago. And I said, oh, Tyler is preaching this Sunday. And he goes, oh, awesome. No offense, I like it when Tyler preaches more than you. I was like, man, literally nobody asked you. It wasn't like I was like, yeah, Tyler's preaching on Sunday. So like gun to your head, you know, because obviously there would need to be a gun to your head for you to make a decision like this. If you had to choose between me or Doug or Tyler, who would you choose? Like obviously, hypothetically speaking, there's no gun to your head. Actually, there's nothing around anywhere. You just decided to share that information. And then for the next few minutes, he decided to take his whole foot out of his mouth. But that's not a bad thing that my buddy prefers Tyler over me. Because just as God gifted different speakers to preach differently, God has wired us to respond differently to different speakers and different styles. Because it's a very, that's supposed to be a good thing. Like how great is it that not everyone preaches the same way I do? Because if that was the case, all of you would have high blood pressure by the end of the year. <laughs> that's why I love the teaching team that we have. Because I see all of these different styles and these different giftings. And, and I'm under the impression when I read this, I was like, I don't want that to be the case here at Fellowship. Because I see what happens in that room. We, we meet just about once a week, if not a few times a month to talk about these things. And I know for a fact that me and Doug and Tyler are all on the same mission of making much of our Jesus. We want to fall more in love with him and we want to lead you guys to fall more in love with him. Because it's supposed to be a united front, like we are on the same team just trying to, to stir our affections for the God that has ransomed our souls. And so it's not a bad thing that we, that we prefer other things, but it's only when it fulfills its intended purpose that it's good. When it sheds light on Jesus, when there's a genuine desire to make his name known and bring his kingdom here... And it's insane that it, it's not just a problem that happened within the Corinthian church. This is also a problem that we have in our church today. 
I, mean, I think because of social media, like I think it, it leads us to follow these, these mega church pastors and to idolize them and to worship them. And when we see them in public, we're like, oh my goodness, it's this person. And it's like, like that's not the way it's supposed to be. That's not supposed to lead us to love those people more. And I, I just view it as, it's like us falling in love with the FedEx guy every time he comes. Like, why don't when the FedEx guy comes, do we not open the door and say, hey, please come in. Let me, let me open my gift in front of you. And we open it and we hug him and we thank, like, thank you so much for giving me this gift. Why don't we do that? Because he's not the one, that person is not the one that bought that gift for us. What that person did is show up one day and there was a package that he put in his truck that had our address on it. He was just delivering what somebody else gave to us in the first place. And in the same way, what Paul is saying in this is Paul is saying that, that the vessels shouldn't be worshipped, but the person who the vessels are pointing to needs to be worshipped. And, and I believe Paul led so many people to Jesus in Corinth. You know, we talked about spiritual family trees a few months ago and how all of us, just like our family tree, like physical family trees, we can trace our salvation through people all the way back to the person of Jesus. You know, there was Jesus, and then he had his disciples, and those disciples led people to Jesus, and they led people to Jesus, and it goes all the way down to us. And the, the Corinthians could all trace back their spiritual family tree back to Paul, because Paul was the one that brought the gospel to Corinth. Paul was the one that established the church in Corinth. And I just think Paul makes a huge statement here. What, what, what Paul says is, is he, would bat, he would lead people to Jesus and then there would be other people that would baptize them. And he would do this because he didn't want to distract people's devotion away from the Lord. Because baptism and who he's baptizing was so unimportant to Paul that he even temporarily forgot who he baptized in Corinth. Look at verse 16 again. It, I think this is such a funny verse because Paul says, I thank God that I didn't baptize anybody but Crispus and Gaius so that none of you may say you were baptized in my name. And you can see him pacing because he he's not the one that wrote the letters. He was just orating it and someone was writing it down. And he gets done saying that and he goes, wait, did you write that down yet? The guy's like, yeah, I wrote it down. He goes, dang it. I just remembered I baptized somebody else. Because you know that this letter was going to be read in the body. And you could see Stephanus and his family being like, what about us, man? And it's not like Paul baptized a thousand people and he forgot a few people. The dude baptized only three people and he forgot one of the three. And it's because baptism was so unimportant to Paul. And it wasn't that baptism was unimportant because baptism is incredibly important. It's the first command for new believers to show what happened on the inside of us. Like just when we put our faith in Jesus, we, we died to our old self. We were raised to new life. That's what baptism is. But in the light of the gospel the, and the power of the cross, baptism pales in comparison. Because it has everything to do with the power of Jesus and nothing to do with the vessel or the person that the power of Jesus is working through. And so the question is this. Is our preference of speakers... Or is our preference of leaders distracting us from the message? Because when the messenger starts to distract from the message and who the message is really pointing to, that's when it becomes a problem. That's when it becomes an idol. That's when it becomes a sin. Is our preference of the messenger leading us to love Jesus more? Or is it leading us to love those people more? 
And so Doug, Doug got to mention last week, he, he got to mention this idea that, that what do we have that we haven't received when he was talking about gifts. And, and the thought on my mind when he was talking about that was, man, like gifts can be taken away. I think about these big gifts, the gift of teaching, and, and I see the worship team and the gifts that they've been given. Like, I mean, like that, it can go away. And just like gifts can be taken away, ministries can be taken away. Like they're going to be, like the leaders of this church now, the elders and Doug, like they're not going to be here forever. People are going to retire. People are going to pass away. People are going to go to other churches that the Lord is leading them to. And if we put all of our devotion in those leaders, when those leaders leave, our devotion leaves with them. Because the spotlight was never meant to be shared with those people. We were never meant to share the throne with Jesus. And, and I think so often, like, I hear the, the phrase, like, you shouldn't follow me because I'm not perfect. And I, I've said it from stage, and I hear pastors say that all the time. And if I'm honest, this week, I just got to really think about that phrase. And if I'm honest, there's even a little bit of a self-righteous undertone in that. Like, don't follow me because I'm not perfect, but... I'm close. And so I don't want to say, hey, don't follow me. I can speak for myself and myself only. Like, don't follow me because I'm not perfect. I'm not going to say that. I'm going to say, don't follow me because I'm wicked. And I don't mean wicked like wicked, dude. I mean wicked like evil and disgusting. Because there are times when I walk in the flesh, and I'll be honest, I walk in the flesh way more often than I would like to admit. And when I am walking in the flesh and I'm not walking in the spirit, I'm a person who's ruled by anger. I'm loving myself more than anybody else. And I'm a sex addict. And I know that made people kind of squirm like, oh, that just makes me feel kind of grimy. Why'd you got to say it like that? And it makes you feel grimy because that's the kind of person that I am. Apart from Jesus. And for some reason... The God of the universe sees that grimy and sees that evil and sees that disgusting. And he says, I love that. I want to redeem that. And I'm going to use you to be a part of my kingdom, which I have no idea why he does that. But those are the leaders of the church. They're grimy and disgusting and they're evil because apart from Jesus, we can do no good thing. But really what the problem was is that none of those people are worthy to be worshiped. You know, John has this image in Revelation, and, and there's this scroll that needs to be opened. And, and he's looking around, and he's trying to find someone that's worthy to open the scroll, and he starts weeping because no one's coming forward. And then it's like the biggest, like, kick-in-the-door moment that Jesus ever has. He walks in, and John says that the lamb who was slain walks in, and he was worthy to open the scroll. And so what Paul is saying is that this church doesn't belong to me. This is Jesus's inheritance. Jesus died for the church. Jesus died for the body to be his, and because he bought the body with the price, his life, he adopted all of us to be sons and daughters of the king, sons and daughters of God. And if we're all sons and daughters of God, then we are all brothers and sisters together. And when we have redeemed ridiculous ideologies divide us, we end up spitting on the cross of Christ and we end up removing the power of the cross from our lives. We empty the cross of its power and we turn the gospel to being all about us and stop making it all about Jesus. Because it's all about Jesus now. It has always been about Jesus and it will never stop for a second being all about Jesus. It is all about him. It's his church and it's by his name and by his power that we are saved. Not our own, not baptism, not other leaders in this church. 
And what Paul is saying is when we remove Jesus from the center, when, we ha- when he, said, he says we have to let the power of the gospel unite us, not just because it's our duty, but because that's the way it was intended to be. And what he really is arguing here is when we remove Jesus from the center, when we remove Jesus as our DNA, as our goal, as our mission, we end up dividing things. Because the thing that's always supposed to be the center of our church and the center of our lives is the power of the cross and the power of Jesus, not the power of other people. Because Paul says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. You know, if you remember when you were a kid, you got to learn what an atom was. Like, man, we're talking about science. And if you remember an atom, there's two main parts of an atom. There's the middle part, which is called the nucleus. And what the nucleus is, is a bunch of neutrons and protons grouped together. And then outside of that nucleus, there are electrons that revolve around that nucleus. And an atom is incredibly small. An atom is actually the smallest unit of matter. But the most important part of that atom is the nucleus. It's the health of the nucleus that decides the health of an atom. It's the power of the nucleus that decides the power of the atom. And in the same way as that nucleus is the most important part of that atom, we have to understand that when Jesus is at the center of our lives, not only is everything in order and running effectively, but we're all unified within that same atom. Because if we have the same nucleus, we have the same atom because we're all plugged into the same source of power. And so what Paul is not saying here, Paul is not saying that we all need to agree on every little detail, but we all need to agree on that detail right there, that it's always been about Jesus and it'll never stop being about Jesus. And then from that center, when all of us are around that same nucleus and a part of that same atom, when we start disagreeing on things, we can always go back to that. It's okay to disagree over things. And I'm looking at one of my best friends, Christina Anderson. Her and I differ so much on theology. And we have so many conversations and we can get heated and we can get fired up. But I will tell you, there are, there are a lot of times that we disagree over things. And when we get done, we laugh about it and we say, agree to disagree because we have the same core. Because we have the same DNA. Because it's all about Jesus and it'll never stop being about Jesus. We go, okay, we disagree over that. Now let's go make much of God in his kingdom. But what was happening in the church of Corinth and what I see happening within our own church is that there's not that united front. We don't have Jesus as the nucleus. What what the Corinthians were doing is they were getting Apollos and they were getting Paul and they were making them the things that they worshiped. And what was happening is all of these different nucleuses were being formed. Therefore, all of these different atoms being formed. And, And not only were they not unified and were they divided, but all of those nucleuses had the exact same thing in common. Those nucleuses didn't have the power to sustain those atoms. And so not only was the church of Corinth divided, but the church of Corinth was being ruled by chaos and disorder and death. Paul isn't saying we have to agree on every little thing. He's saying we have to stop removing Jesus from the center. We have to stop removing Jesus as the nucleus. And here's a modern day example. Uh, A few months ago, The midterm elections were happening and I was on my laptop looking up different things about the midterm elections. I just heard an actual sigh. You're like, you're talking about politics. How did we get onto that so quickly? I'm getting somewhere with that. 
And I was looking at different articles so I can just see what these candidates were all about because I think politics are very important. I think that's biblical. Politics are very important because what the Bible says is when our country thrives, we thrive. So we should pray for our country. And so I'm looking all those things up and I get to an article and I read about five sentences and I kind of do an oh boy and kind of exit out of it. And the reason I did an oh boy is because I'll give you a gist of what that article is about in one sentence. You cannot be a follower of Jesus and vote Democrat. And I say this as a concession, not as a command, as Paul says. I don't say this because this is from the Lord, but this is my opinion. I believe that statement in that article is not from the Lord. I believe that statement in that article was being used as demonic activity. Because what was happening is we were removing the center. We were removing the important thing. Because a political party that we vote for has absolutely no weight or bearing on, it, on if our name is written in the book of life or not. The thing that has that bearing is Jesus and the cross of Christ. Because that is the power of the church. The power of the church isn't found in a political party. The power of the church is found in the power of the cross because he's the one that penetrates hearts and messages that are spoken like this. He's the one that lights the flame and ignites it in all of the revivals that's ever happened. He's the one that opens eyes. He's the one that molds heart. He's the one that writes people's names in the book of life, all based off of the power of the gospel, not based off of a political party. And if I'm honest, this is not in my notes. I know too many people who vote on the other side of the than a lot of people within the church and they love Jesus with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. We have to stop placing things in the center at our nucleus that have no business being there. And, and I'm not saying this as an attack. I'm saying this because all of us have a tendency to put things at the center that don't belong. All of us have a tendency to take secondary things and making them primary things. It's idol worship. And I'll tell you, as, as people who can walk in the flesh because we're still here on earth, our hearts are idol factories. We get rid of an idol. I don't know about you guys, but I feel like I get rid of a sin and like three days later, a whole new sin struggle comes in. I'm like, how did that happen? Because we're just constantly trying to find a God that isn't God. And all of us, and, and for me, like I have that tendency like my personality is when I believe something, I believe it's not fact or, or I don't believe it's opinion. I believe it's fact. And if you don't believe the way that I believe, then you're wrong, which as you can tell in my relationships, it can provide for a lot of conflict. I mean, even recently I, I was involved in a conversation uh, that after the conversation, I was bitter and I was angry. And I wasn't bitter and angry because I was right and they were wrong. I was bitter and angry because what I was doing is I was making secondary things primary things. I was placing things at the center of my life that didn't belong at the center of my life. Really what I was doing is I was participating in idol worship. What I was doing is I was hurting the cross of Christ. And, and, and I want to tell you guys, we serve a God who's so gracious. We serve a God who sees this. And we serve a God who gives us the Holy Spirit. He gives us the helper to convict us. To say, hey, like, it's important, but it's not that important. Like, what's important and the thing that we need to be dying on a hill for, it should be the nucleus of our life, which is Jesus, which is the power of the cross, because that is the thing that saves us. That is the thing that gives the church its power. That is the thing that gives us life and breath in our being. Other things are important, but they do not belong at the center. 
And it's kind that the Holy Spirit convicts us of that because when we plug into a source of power that isn't the power of the gospel, we're plugging into a source that will never be able to sustain us. Let's take it home. You see, what divides is taking Christ away from the center and putting other things that don't belong. And as long as we agree on the nucleus, there will be unity and there will be order and and the church will continue to be united as the body that was designed to be powerful. And so fellowship, my question is this. What about us? What about this body of believers? What's our nucleus? What's the thing that's most important to us? What's the thing that is at the center of our lives that that all of our action flows from? And so what kind of group are we going to be? In the group project of life, we're all in the same group together. What kind of group are we going to be? Are we a group that's going to be divided, that has all of these different atoms being formed within? Are we going to be a group that is united with the same DNA, with the same mission, with the same nucleus, and with that same nucleus being a part of the same atom and wreaking some freaking havoc for the kingdom of God? Because that is the way that it was designed to be. And so what we're going to do now is we're going to stand and we're going to sing. You're like, that's not new. But there's a, there's a song called This I Believe. And what we're going to do, instead of saying this I believe, we're going to be singing this we believe. And this is going to be a rally cry. This is going to be our nucleus. This is going to be our DNA. And this is my challenge to us. It's going to be weird. It's okay. I promise. Instead of closing your eyes in worship, what I want us to do is to not close our eyes and to look around this room as we sing as a rallying cry, as a, hey, we're doing this together because that's the way it's supposed to be. And you could be 11 years old and 90 years old. We are still a part of the same body, which is Christ, because he is the head. So let's wreak some havoc for the kingdom of God. Let's stop being divided. Let's start going out as a, as a body together to share with a lost and dying world the crazy love of a father. Hey, there's our DNA. There's our nucleus. Now let's go. You know, the thing that's, that, that the enemy wants to do is he wants to divide because when the body's united, it's not going to be as effective as he made it to be. And so when we get placed in our lives, these situations where we choose between, am I going to get upset about this? Am I going to make this the center? Or am I going to make Jesus the center? It's something that we get to do together. We get to have people call that out on us. We get to love Jesus, not on an island, but as a body together. And so we have communion on both sides if you want to take it. Uh, We're going to have myself up here, Doug will be up here, and then some elders and their wives will be up here as well. If you want to talk about anything, it doesn't have to be heavy. It just can be something that's on your mind. We'd love to talk to you about that. Uh, But you guys know what to go do now. Go love first, says the body of Christ. Have a great week of worship fellowship.